Thank you, Mason and worship team. Um, we, like I said this earlier, we're going to be in Malachi. Uh, we're going to be in chapter 2, verses 10 through 16. And um, I'm, I'm going to uh, actually, because of the members meeting today, I'm, I'm really trying to streamline the service just a bit. And so um, I'm not going to give a lot of introductory remarks today uh, because I, I just do want it to be just like tight in that sense of time. Because um, I know my tendency is to have a whole lot more extra thoughts in my mind of, of what the Lord may want me to share uh, and try to teach from an abundance of the overflow of that. Um, and not that I'm not doing that today, but there's, there's just more things that I just don't want to bring in today. So um, we're going to be looking at three areas today that the Lord instructs the people to, uh, or, or instructs Malachi to confront the people about. And I, I think that is a, a, a point that we need to, to really be careful in our own thoughts. Because I think um, I, I've been wrestling a lot right now in, in some of my uh, reflections about our approach to uh, evangelism and addressing people. And, and, and here's one of the things that I've been thinking a lot about is, and, and I'll kind of give you a little context. Yesterday, we had somebody from another church in our area walking through the neighborhood, and they, they do this kind of consistently, and then they, they wanted to talk about like a little friend day flyer that they have, and I've been part of friend days before, um, and then they also left a little flyer on the doorknob, I, and, and I, I guess how they opened it, they put the flyer on first, thinking I wasn't there, then I opened the door, and then I was wrangling our dog, scaring the kid, and uh, it was the dog scaring the kid, not me, um, <laughs> I think, um, <laughs> And, and so I told him, I'm a pastor, I'm not going to be attending the friend day. But then we found the, the flyer that it was about salvation, like the plan of salvation on there. And this is my point. I think a lot of times it begins with man is sinful. We in the church go, yeah, we get that. I wonder in our day how many people really recognize what sin is. I, I think we live in a, a day and age where sin is minimized, if even recognized. And, and so I share that with you to say this. I think part of our own struggle as a church can often be, well, we're doing these things right in our relationship with the Lord, and we also minimize sin. And I want us to, to be careful about that today. And students, I, I want to say this to you. I want you to listen really carefully today because there's going to be some specific address to you about some principles here that we find in Scripture. And so I, I don't want you to tune out over this first part, but I really want us as a body to, to digest these things. So let me read uh, Malachi chapter 2, starting in verse 10, and then we'll jump into the, the meat of the text. Have we not all one Father? Uh, I, I, go back here and reflect for just a moment. Remember, Malachi has this great device of rhetorical questions that he uses again and again to, to bring the people into their, this point of thought, okay? He says, have we not all one Father? Has not one God created us? Why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? Judah has been faithless and and." Abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem, for Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves, and has married the daughter of a foreign god. 
May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob any descendant of the man who does this, who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. And this second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning because uh, he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, why does he not? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth to whom you've been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this morning we need your guidance, we need your wisdom, we need your spirit to help us understand these truths. And so I pray, Lord, over the next few minutes that as we uh, unpack the, the meaning of this text, that you would both open our hearts and our minds and our ears to the truth of these things, and then, Lord, as well, that you would impact our spirits, because the tendency, Lord, is for us as a church to, to truthfully look very, uh, to have very little difference than the world, and we need to be distinct. And so, Lord, I pray that this would be a call for us to carefully consider what it means to walk in covenant faithfulness to you who is faithful. So, Father, uh, we entrust this time now into your care. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want to emphasize these, these three areas. What is essentially happening, if you, and if you notice this, that the, the um, Lord had referred to the, the people as being faithless. And if you didn't catch that, it occurs actually five times in the text. So it's pretty serious in these six verses or so that over five or five times that he would use that word. Now, I don't know if you're like me, but when I hear the word faithless, it kind of puts me like in this picture of something being like me being passive about it. Um, it's like I'm just not acting out in faith. Here's the interesting thing about the word. As I went back and looked at how it's used in the book of Isaiah, it's actually translated as traitor. Mm -hmm. That's a little bit more like, wait, what's the mirror showing me? It's not that I'm just passive about like not following through in things with the Lord. I'm actually rebelling and going against him, being, being tra traitorous. Is that the right word? Traitorous? I don't know what it is. Forgive me. I'm being a traitor. <laughs> Thanks for laughing, Mason. Hard. Traitorious. I don't know. What is it? Tra that's different. <laughs> traitorous? I was kind of right. I was just pronouncing it. Y'all give me a little grace. I got a lot of things on my mind. So traitorous, being a traitor, bottom line, okay? Y'all try talking every week in front of y'all. It's hard. <laughs> Thanks, Mason. <laughs> so the point being, we're active in this. It, it, it is the, what, what Malachi is getting at is not just this passive faithlessness. They are actually acting in a way that is an affront to the Lord. And so Malachi is instructed to, 
address these three areas. So we're going to look at these three areas. So hopefully this helps you um, take notes. The first area is going to be, uh, it's described as the area of social uh, faithlessness. Look at verse 10. I can get my notes right here. Um, verse 10, what we read it, it here is, uh, it says, they are faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers. Here's, here's the idea, that in the social relationships amongst the, the people themselves, they were operating in a way that was selfish and, and, and self-absorbed. They, they were uh, not recognizing the two key components to what Malachi says in those first two rhetorical questions. So if you look at the, the verse 10, here's what we see, is that it is consistent for, or, or what God says to them is he says, we have one father and we're all created by God. The Lord is saying, you're on equal footing. Why are you acting as if somebody has priority over another? That if we're all having one father created by him, we are equal in such a way that our relationships ought to honor one another. See, here's, here's one of the things that I was reading, and I thought this was so brilliant, because it, it talked about the, the importance of shalom. And, and Michael used that word a couple weeks ago. And I've, I'll, I'll be honest here, I've struggled to use that word in the pulpit very often, because I think sometimes it's thrown out, and people don't get a good understanding of what the shalom or the peace of God really consists of. But I want to give you a quick definition of shalom. It has to do with a peaceful, and here's the other key component, pure, dynamic in all relationships. It's not just like having peace, because I can have peace without shalom. Does that make sense? But when God's peace rules us, there's a peace that provides a pure dynamic in all relationships. That's my relationship with God. That's my relationship with friends. That's my relationship with my kids. That's my relationship with on and on and on. And see, so, so when we think about what God's desire is for us, it would be that we have peaceful and pure relationships with all, within all like scopes of relationship. So, so think about this. That's parent to child. How are we doing? Children to parent, friend to friend, peer to peer, employee to employer. On and on and on. I, I can list thousands of like dynamics in there. In every one of those scenarios, it's back and forth. It's not just like me saying, hey, I'm the a pastor and, and Mallory's the administrative assistant, so the peace ought to be for her to me. No, it's a dual dynamic. It goes back and forth. How are we doing? It's me and Julianne and my other kids. It's me and Katie. All of those relationships ought to be uh, guarded by that. And here's the problem. See, where we've moved to, and here's where I think Malachi assesses this and we reflect the same struggle, is they've grown into a morally relativistic culture. Does, does that make sense? They were basically saying, we can do what we please. They were offering within their, their community relationships, listen to this, this word dynamic, a pseudo-freedom. Y'all hear that? That ought to like click right now. It's a pseudo-freedom that they were, be offer they were being offered. 
or they're trying to live within. That pseudo-freedom was really based on selfishness or self-indulgence. Hello? Is that our era today? It absolutely is. Because everyone, I say everyone, the majority of the, the, the world culture that we are in operates with a pseudo-freedom. They say, I want my way. I don't care about the shalom, the purity and peace of, that God offers. I want to do it my way. And it actually brings a lot of conflict and um, struggle into relationships. Folks, we as a church, as Christians, need to resist that at all costs. Because if we can, and if we will, by walking in a godly integrity in all things, no matter the cost, we can impact the world. Where does that begin? First and foremost, it begins in the church with one another. And then it, be, and then it moves out and extends into relationships outside of the church. And I'm not saying just the local church itself. I mean with believers. We, we need to be operating in an in integrity no matter the cost with one another. And, and I'm going to tell you, I'm not going to get into the, the weeds of this, but I had a, a point of conflict this week with, with some folks that claimed to be Christ-like, and the integrity was fully compromised. And, and, and all, it was a struggle. All week long, it's been a struggle. It's just kind of been nagging at me. It's hard. It's hard. Where does that begin for us? It begins with me holding a high integrity no matter the cost. With my family, with my friends, with my church, everyone in my life. Folks, you need to do that too. And I don't say that very often. You need to. You ought to. But, but if we don't, the, the result is lack of blessing. That the, the Lord essentially is, is so frustrated by his, his people not doing these things because relationships are destroyed and there's no shalom peace. The second, the second issue that Malachi addresses is found in verses 11 and 12. And this is with uh, folks, the, some of the people marrying unbelievers. Now youth, hey, I, hey, I'm serious. Y'all are on the back row and I'm, I'm kind of seeing y'all. I want y'all to listen to me really carefully. Okay, because I, this is one of those lessons, and I'm not dismissing Rain and Juliana. Y'all listen too. Okay, Heather, I see you ducking behind Brad's head. By the way, some of y'all missed the memo about the blue shirt today. I don't know what's going on. This is probably one of the most important things that I can share with you from the Word of God about your relationships and your future. And I'm not, I'm, I know I can be silly at times, okay, but I'm not being silly here. And parents and grandparents, I want y'all to hear these things and be able to go back and listen, uh, you know, point your family members to the Word of God because this is serious. Here's what we read in verses 11 and 12. Judah's been faithless and abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. That's some strong language. That's not me, Matt, saying that. An, an abomination, okay? That, that's serious. For Judah, so here's how it happened. For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves, the Lord loves, and has married the daughter of a foreign god. So here's what's happening. Verse, let, me, let me go back and read verse 12 too. May the Lord cut off the tents of Jacob, any descendant of the man who does this, who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. The Lord is not happy. 
He is not pleased that, that Judah has said, hey, we're just going to marry these, foreign, these, these women of foreign gods. That's the, the illustration. Here's the point. When we claim to love God, students, I want you to hear this. If you claim to love the Lord with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength, and you then attach yourself to an unbeliever, who does not love him in the same way, essentially what you're saying is you're saying that, I, and this is what the word says, that you've profaned the holiness of God. How do you do that? Because you said, as much as I love God, I love this person more, and I've, I'm, I'm, I'm uniting with them more, and they're taking a priority of, over God. It's a flipping the switch. And let me say this, students. This is why, and I'm going to use a, a kind of a silly term here. You don't missionary date. Does that term make sense? You don't go, well, I want to date an unbeliever to bring them to Christ. No, because you're giving your heart away to someone that is going to ultimately lead to compromise. Be their friend. Be a missionary. Evangelize them apart from being romantic with them. Because once you become romantically involved and you've committed to them, you have jumped on the slope to compromise. That slope to compromise will not bring blessing. And you may say, well, I know that the Lord's going to do something in life. Well, then why not wait to date them? Why not wait to become romantically involved? Don't trust in your own wisdom in those things. And I'll, I'll say this, especially where I see this the most or observed it the most over the years is girls dating unbelieving guys. And those girls are looking for godly leadership eventually and that guy will not be able to provide that. And we talked about this a couple years ago when we did um, uh, Song of Solomon it's like the image of running around the track. Find somebody that's going at the same pace as you in their relationship with the Lord so that you don't leave them behind. Now, I know that's not going to always be the case. We're going to sharpen each other and draw each other up, okay? But for the most part, that metaphor is really, really good. Because if someone is not keeping pace with you in their life of faith, girls especially, you want a godly man who can run ahead of you. And guys, let me say this, all my adult guys, we need to be running ahead of our wives in spiritual things. Our culture has elevated too much women of faith to the exclusion of men being godly men. And I'm not saying we're not, they're not, you know, encouraging godliness in men, but men, we are called to be the leaders in our home spiritually, emotionally, all these ways. Be that guy. Provide what your family and your wife needs. We okay? That's God's word. It's not Matt's. Okay? I want to qualify three things about this passage real quickly. First of all, it doesn't, like let's say somebody's already married and, and you've, you've married a non-believing spouse. This passage is not addressing this. It's saying before you get to that point. Okay? It's giving us guardrails about how to build a healthy marriage. Don't rebel against that. Don't be what Malachi confronts them about 
faithless to the Lord in these things. Let your love for the Lord drive you to healthy relationships in all things. But if it's already compromised, let's say you didn't know this principle and, and you've married an unbeliever, can I encourage you? This passage is not addressing that. He is, the, the passage is, uh, you, you have hope for your marriage out, that this passage is not uh, regarding. Sorry, I've gotten a little distracted. What we need to do is understand that there's hope for our marriages, and I'm going to talk to that, uh, to speak to that in just a minute. Second thing, this, prin- this, this principle here is not advocating for divorce. The scriptures, in the scriptures, we never find the, the Lord advocating for divorce. Now, there's some allowances made for divorce. We can find that in 1 Corinthians 7, uh, 12 through 16. If you're taking notes, I'd, I'd write that down. If an unbelieving spouse, is, I'm nutshelling this, if an unbelieving spouse and a believing spouse are married and the unbelieving spouse wants to leave, they are allowed to leave. Now, the believing spouse, there's guidelines. They, they should not marry before the unbelieving spouse does because that's adultery. So, so it's always holding out hope that that marriage will be restored. And we're going to get to why that's the case in just a moment. It's also, so the, the guiding principle to this passage is, is a guardrail for us as we're looking forward to those relationships. Is that clear enough? Okay, good. Let's look at the third issue this morning. This is found in verses 13 through 16. So, so remember, they've married these unfaithful or, or unbelieving uh, people. And now the Lord is looking at the issue of marriage. And he says in verse 13, um, he says, And this second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning, because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. So they're facing consequences. But you say, why does he not? Here's the answer. Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless. Though she is your companion and your wife by covenant, did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. Let me, so, so contextually what's happening here is the, the, we see the men, they're being flippant about their marriages and they're just divorcing for, for literally no, little to no reason. They're, they're just, just rebelling against the things of the Lord. They're not being faithful to the covenant. And in, even worse in this sense, they've lost or forgotten what the true meaning of marriage is and how the Lord is involved in marriage. And so here's the context. Even if your marriage is not established or these marriages were not established in a, a, a godly uh, reciprocal relationship, there's no excuse for divorce. That's not what the world says today. As a matter of fact, I, the, the statistics, I, I just grabbed a couple looking at this. I didn't want to dive too deep in this stuff for time's sake this morning, but we're still running at about a 50% um, divorce rate in America. Here's what's most scary to me about the statistics I looked at. They were given around 2021, okay, when this study was done. Most of divorces occur in the first five years of marriage, 
and the age group is 25 to 39. Marriage is, of, uh, is the wife of the youth. It, it, to me, is like they haven't had time to work through things and to understand what the Lord can and will do within their marriages. And, and so we're seeing this statistically play out a, a very similar per- paradigm. And folks, we need to stand firm in our marriages. We need to encourage people in our community that are struggling with their marriages to stay in their marriages, no matter what their alignment is spiritually. Because marriage is instituted by God and He's in every marriage. And let me, let me say this. As you look at this passage, and I want to make this really, really clear, Genesis 2.24, and if you have your Bibles, I'd invite you to turn there really quickly. Genesis 2.24 says this. Well, pass by it. You got a couple seconds to get there with me. Genesis 2.24 says this. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. You're probably really familiar with that passage. It's typically quoted at almost every Christian marriage ceremony, right? Now, here's what's interesting about this. This is the Lord speaking, and He's ordaining the union of marriage. Now, let's quickly read verse 25 and 26. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Whoops. And that's 3.1. And then we see this. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. So, so I'm not going to go into all this, but you see the order of what I'm getting at. That God ordained marriage when? Prior to the fall. Then the serpent comes into the scene, and then he disrupts the harmony, the shalom, peace, and purity of relationships. And his number one target, I believe, is family life. Disrupt marriage, you disrupt the children, and the family life goes away. That's also, I think, reflected in the church life, as Christ is the head of the church, the the bridegroom of the bride. Ephesians 5. And so these things reflect godly priorities. And we, if we, like the, the people of Malachi, cheapen marriage at any level, we're undoing what God has put his stamp of approval on. Now, now let's look a little further at what Malachi says here. Go back to, to that passage in chapter 2. It says, in verse 15. This is really, really interesting. Verse 15 says, did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? Folks, don't let that be lost on us. I, I believe even if unbelievers marry, even if it's not in a Christian service and, and something said over them, because marriage is an ordained institution by God, the Spirit of God is somehow present in that union. That's what Malachi says. I think that's, that's pretty true. Here's what John Calvin says. I think this is really, really great. He says, it marriage is an ordinance divinely appointed, a perpetual law. Ooh. And he says, in which God's authority is to be regarded alone. Think about that for just a moment. What happens with a lot of marriages today 
is we become that pseudo-freedom culture. We deny or decline the, the faithfulness to being co- people of covenant. And in that, we overrule the authority of God with our own authority. And we, we dismiss what is that divine ordinance, that perpetual law that God has established. And we cheapen marriage and we run out of it. Folks, we, the Christian church, we need to be people that fight for marriage. That that we hold it in such profound esteem and respect that it honors God in every way. Now, let me say this. Matthew 19.9, you might just write this down. The Pharisees were confronting Jesus about divorce and remarriage and all these things. Jesus did make some allowances. The scriptures do make for allowance for divorce, okay? And and those are reasonable. If someone's been sexually immoral in the relationship, there is is an allowance for divorce. Would I counsel someone because of sexual immorality in the relationship just to go out and divorce? That gives you the right reason, like a reason right away? No, I, I wouldn't counsel that. I would actually counsel that Hope can come even in the midst of those struggles because God is a God of redemption. And and esteeming the faithfulness to one another in the marriage and restoring those things is the better result. It protects children that are involved. It protects the the longevity of the the couple themselves. It, it, It removes far more consequences that are negative by pursuing the marriage and the health of the marriage. See, too many people think this. There's only two options when the marriage is in trouble. It's either I live in misery or we get divorced. There's many more options within that. Time to, to gain counsel, to seek help, to, to, to pursue help both individually and then corporately. There are other options, and we need to provide those options for them with biblical answers. Holding up and esteeming the covenant relationship that God has established. I want to remind you of a couple of verses. First of all is Revelation 5.1. It's a great verse. It's simple. Behold, the Lord says, Behold, I am making all things new. Folks, we need to remember that. Whether we're in conflict with, maybe we've got a rebellious kid, maybe, maybe we're having struggles within our marriage, maybe it's something at work, I I don't know, but we need to hold that verse tight to our hearts and our minds. Behold, I'm making all things new. Revelation 5.1. Now, I know that that may, ultimately, that's about eternal things, okay? But but we need to understand that God is in the work of sanctifying, redeeming, changing, transforming us into the likeness of Christ. Here's another verse. 1 Thessalonians 5.24 says this. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Lord, uh, folks, in the midst of, of struggles, the Lord is always faithful. Now, now, I'll confess, that's not my first thought when I have struggles. Oh, God's being really faithful to me right now. <laughs> that, that is like too many steps down the road. I constantly share that with you. I wish my first go-to in any kind of conflict was, well, the Lord is faithful. I'm going to get through this. Give me wisdom do those things. Too often, I'm like, response, react, you know, respond, react, and, and struggle. And then it's like, oh, wait, 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 
Now take stock of what God is doing. I wish that these things were at the front of my thoughts every time. Here's another one. I'm going to read a long passage here, but I think this is important for, for us to recognize. Romans 8, you might just write this down, Romans 8, 31 through 35. You'll be familiar with this. Romans 8, 31 through 35. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. No matter what trouble you're facing, Christ is interceding. Keep going. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword, as it is written. Let me stop there. So, so in the purpose of me reading that passage is to remind us, in the midst of the struggles, Christ's love for us overcomes everything we face. And that doesn't mean it happens in the most immediate temporal way, but he will overcome, and his love is sufficient. And I think too often we get into the turmoils and the struggles of life where there's conflict and we're waiting for the resolution, and we forget those principles, and we begin to become that pseudo, or operate in that pseudo-freedom, self-indulgent mindset. And I know marriage is, is a compli- comp- uh, complicated, very complicated issue especially when there's struggles. And I'm not addressing things about abuse and, and all the other things that we could like unpack in tons of ways today. But I am saying this because I think the Word of God says it clearly. We need to esteem godly relationships. We need to be faithful to God in all things, social, pre-marriage, and marriage. Those are key areas so that God is honored. So here's what I want us to do. I want to take a minute and I want us to to take some inventory personally and, and take stock of, of where we are in these three areas, social, pre, pre-marriage relationships, and in our marriages. And we need to see how we're being faithful to the covenant faithful Lord. So I want us just to take a moment right where we are and pray. And maybe you need to do this. Maybe you're thinking about somebody in your life that's struggling with some of these things. Maybe you need to just pray for them this morning and, and, and ask the Lord, how can you be a witness and an encouragement to them about the truth of these things? So let's take just a minute and let's, let's bow together and pray. Heavenly Father, I pray this, that over the, the course of the next minute, you would speak to us clearly, having used the, this, the message of the scriptures, and that we would be honest with you, we'd be careful to consider our own relationships and how we're operating, and then, Lord, where we may need to be salt and light with some folks in our lives. And we begin that by committing them to prayer. So, Father, I'm going to be quiet and let your uh, spirit deal with each of us just over the next few seconds. Heavenly Father, I want to pray this prayer over our students right now. Lord, I pray that you would bless them 
and convince them of their need for faithfulness to you. And that would occur in a couple ways. One, it would be that they would learn and apply the truth of Scripture to their lives. And Lord, in the second sense, that, that application would take place in such a way that they would think ahead and, and work through a right commitment to your purposes and your plans so that they would not compromise. Too many times in my own life, Lord, I hadn't thought through things with the truth and, and, the, and made plans with you about things, and I became too reactive and, and responsive, and, and Lord, in that, I compromised. And I pray, Lord, that you give our parents and these students under the sound of my voice greater wisdom than I exercised, and Lord, instead, they would forge with you a desire and a devotion that prevents them from compromise. Lord, I want to pray over our marriages. Lord, as I mentioned, I'm convinced that the enemy wants to destroy the fabric of the Christian witness and through the, the, the compromise of Christian family. And that begins with husbands and wives. Lord, protect our marriages. Help us also to put things in place that we would, would, would be preventative measures. So that, Lord, when conflict arises, when things get tough, we would run to you and to one another rather than being faithless in these things as the culture makes it so easy to be. Lord, let us not look at the suit of freedom that the world offers as genuine freedom. Lord, genuine freedom comes through us walking rightly in integrity with you. So, Father, I pray these things over us because we want to be a light on a hill, a city that is set apart and not ashamed. So, Father, I pray that as we serve you, as we reflect upon your covenant faithfulness to us, all of those things, Lord, that we've looked at today would remind us clearly of your great love for us in Christ, the one who has redeemed us and transforming us into his likeness. May we reflect that. May we strive after that in all areas of our lives to honor you. We pray these things in Jesus' name for your glory. Amen. So here's what we're going to do. Um, it's 10 after, 12 after. Um, we're going to take the next seven minutes or so and come back at right around uh, 1120 and get started with the members meeting. Okay, is that enough time for everybody? So stretch your legs. You may need to grab your kids. Um, but we do want everyone back in here right at 1120 if you're uh, wanting to stay. So let's break and then we'll come back for the members meeting. Okay.